don't really know water. They don't really know water. <laughs> anyway, Charlie Brooker is now doing very well with himself with Black Mirror. Me? I'm cancelled. Welcome to game shows, I suppose. everybody and welcome to the niche podcast about the one thing that knows something about game shows i suppose i'm your host jordan haas we have a fun episode today we are talking about wipeout one of the most cult game shows of our generation before we take on the big balls i think i want to just plug myself a bit why i don't really get to do it that often here anymore uh if you want to follow me on twitter i'm on twitter at jordha j-o-r-d-h-a and if you want to listen to more episodes of the Game Shows I Suppose Archive, it is available at jordanhaas.com slash podcast. And not only that, if you want to throw money my way, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash jordanhaas. It is there you'll find other podcasts that aren't just game show related, although there are a few exclusive Game Shows I Suppose episodes there available nowhere else. Anyway, let's go take a trip to the vending machine as we take a look at the 110-part series exploring every pricing game from The Price is Right, this is The Pricing Game Spotlight. Vendo Price. September 25th, 2015, 7215. Vendo Price is a grocery item game played on the turntable. Debuted September 25th, 2015 during season 44's Decades Week. Really? You don't say it was 25th, 25th? Okay. So the contestant's given a coin to put it in the salon on a giant vending machine. Three grocery items are displayed. And then a certain number of each grocery item appears in each row of the vending machine. Eight of one item, six of another, three of a third, for instance. The contestants tend to pick which row of items of the vending machine is the most expensive of all, the one with the biggest total price, in order to win the prize. To do this, they have to pull on the lever of their choice. All three rows have a different item in a different amount. Blue is the most expensive, orange is the fewest, green is in between. And they range from low, blue to high. Each item's individual price is revealed and then multiplied by the quantity of items to determine their total. So, before we get to the trivia, because I guess trivia is going to be probably complicated and goopy-goop, it's essentially the most classic pricing game out there. And it's a grocery item game, and it looks like a vending machine. Like a classic Vendomatic, like early turn of the tw- like 20th century pole handle ones. And it's played with rip- with multiple copies of the item. So you're looking at 12 rice You're looking at seven 
bounty uh, fabric softeners, and then like three big boxes of of like meow mix, for instance. Um, but what I like about it is it's so classic of a game because it's played with three grocery items and it's an A, B, or C decision. So it's very quick, but you still have to think about it because it's played with multiples of the item. Similar to the old school game of Grocery Game. Remember Grocery Game? that When we were first starting out the pricing game spotlight and you had to get between like $10, $12, and you're like, I want two of those. I want three of those. I want one of those. Or something like Bullseye 2 when it was like, I got to get between $10, $12 and bullseye. So I would like uh, six of these or four of those. That's this. We're telling you the multiples though. So which is more expensive? Eight, uh, is it eight versions of, of rice Is it four bounty uh, fabric softeners or is it two giant bags of meow mix? That's the game. And you, you can't just go like, well, that's the most expensive because it's like, well, that could be like $6, so that's 12 but four of those is 5 bucks, that's $20. And that's your, your brain thinking kind of game. So uh, that's why I like it so much. And then there is a lock-in mechanic. You can't just point to one of the items. And it's not like a classic vending. It's, like, like, it's not like a new vending machine where you just slam the button. You have to literally pull the handle to lock in your answer. And I think that's also very uh, cool to show, like a physical prop, the pulling of the handle. Now, unlike you don't get the prize at the bottom, it's not like a real vending machine, but it's fun because you get to see the multiples. One unwritten rule is that among the three rows of every playing event of price, the top row always contains the highest quantity and the lowest unit price. The bottom row always contains the lowest quantity and the highest unit price. Like I said, it's like six, then four, then two the sound heard when revealing the total of each set of items was revived from the retired pricing game penny ante but only heard the first three times it was played when it was played specifically in cbs talk show the talk the rattling sound mainly of machines doing when dispensing a product was replaced thereafter after the contestant makes their decision they check the prices like in bullseye 2 and grocery games see how much they cost in most expensive hoping the contestant's choice is highest of the group of three all the grocery items used in this game are food products. Like, oh, okay, so I was wrong with the Meow Mix. Just like you would find normal food products in any vending machine. Ah, oh, I never knew that. I never knew that. I always thought it was like with actual, like, all over, like, bleaches and stuff. So it's all food items. I never knew that. So breakfast cereal, uh, ham, and uh, a, a cow. Uh, next... Uh, Vendo Price is the newest pricing game in the history of prices right to use the turntable since coming or going. The game was lost on its first playing. November 11, 2015, the game received its first loss on its... Uh, oh, the game was won on its first playing. Not lost. It was won on its first playing. November 11th was the first loss. It's fourth playing. During Big Money Week, Vendo Price was played for a cash prize of $10,000, but it was not won. This game has been lost 42 times, most recently May 18, 2020. We don't know. We're near the end of the pricing game spotlight, so it could it could be lost again. 
Uh, Vendor price has been played for a car six times, most recently April 10th, 2020. It could have also changed since we started Prices Right. Normally, Drew asks George Gray to describe the procs in the vending machine before the contestant inserts the coin. When that machine pops up, it reveals how many of each product there are. On at least one plane, the contestant has to put their coin in first. On the Back to School special, the top shelf was 22 packages of ramen noodles. The other items were Red Bull energy drinks and frozen pizza. The theme being, you know, college student diets. Uh, the large number of items on the top shelf, despite being such a large number of items, the 22 packages of ramen noodles were the cheapest item in the game, and it only came to $5.50. Seven cans of Red Bull were, by a wide margin, the most expensive. On November 22nd, 2017, a kitchen and cooking lessons were played for a boy named Adam, but it was lost. Oh, this was the college rival bullshit thing. All right. I hate that. Stop it. Stop doing that. It's not good. It sucks. Uh, all right. Vendo uh, during Big Money Week on February 19th, 2018. Vendo price was played for $40,000 but was lost. Okay. March 6th uh, was PCH Week, the Publishers Clearinghouse Week. Okay. It was one. April 27th, Vendo Price was played for a trip to Bahamas for $46,315 on the Bachelor Bachelorette special, but it was lost. The game was created by Adam Sandler. Not that Adam Sandler. Not the It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Not that. Not Adam Sandler of movies or, you know, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. No, Adam Sandler, the longtime producer and now a director for The Price is Right. Uh, for, uh, is the creator of this game, and it's such an instant classic pricing game um, because of that multiples. You know it's like, that's the least expensive, that's the most expensive, but you have to have that psychology of, is four more than five more than eight? Are Pringles more, are these Pringles more expensive than the, uh, what's uh, the Oddwalla juice drinks? They still exist. Those Oddwalla smoothies. I heard they are discontinuing those. Those Oddwalla smoothie drinks, or uh, three, uh, three uh, Jenny's ice creams. Got to think of something you would get at like an expensive supermarket. That's look. I love Vendo Price. I think it's such a classic game show made modern. It feels like this should have been existed way before 2015. This feels like a game that's so familiar to everybody to play it, but it's such a recent game that it's very fun to see it be played. And I think this game should be played more often, just because of the funness that is like here's like seven of one product. So. So that's kind of what I enjoy about Vendo Price. Uh, I love the look. I love the feel. I wish they got to keep a, a the, the the coin, but I like how Drew always has to try and say like the the story of like you are at the CBS commissary. We're asking you, hey, why don't you buy us something? That'll be great. Here's a here's a coin. Uh, <laughs> I think that's always like a fun little nod to like other pricing games as well. Uh, I love this game. This game is fun. It's an ABC game. Always another staple of the prices, right? The A, B, or C game with grocery items played for a fun prize. Lots of smiles, lots of laughs, lots of fun with this game. And it's kind of like 
after talking about vendo price it feels like we're near the end of the pricing game spotlight and like we're only down to two final pricing games kind of maybe hopefully um next time on the pricing game spotlight when i see you again next week we're going to look at the hot seat Everybody and welcome to the game shows I suppose solo sessions. I'm your host Jordan Haas. This is the niche podcast about the one thing I know something about game shows, I suppose. But we're turning this podcast to a grinding halt. So we're going to just have a nice countdown to some of my favorite game shows of all time in the process. I just knocked over a few things on my desk. That's how little I care about professionalism at this point. Hi, how's it going, uh, Jordan? Uh, so today's episode, if you couldn't figure it out, was ABC's Wipeout, known simply to many as Wipeout. Not to be confused with the 1987 game show Wipeout, hosted by Peter Tamarkin. On the 1987 Peter Tamarkin game show, contestants had to figure out things that fit in a certain category that were displayed on a monitor if they were correct they would get money and the money would increase with every correct answer but be careful if they picked an incorrect answer that didn't fit the category they'd be wiped out and their score would be reset to zero and play would pass to the next player of course once they get one correct answer they could just pass it to their opponent anyway in the hopes that they wipe out but Game Eater ends until all the answers were given or all the wipeouts were found. One of the answers was a hot spot, which, if given, would get them a nice prize in the process. But be careful, because that hot spot prize could also be wiped out in the process. Whoever were the two contestants with the most money in round one would go on to round two, where they would basically be playing Bid a Note. In round two, the challenge round, with the two remaining players, there would be 12 answers instead of 16, and there would be eight correct, but four of them would be wipeouts. And much like bid a note on Name That Tune, they can say, I can name three answers, while the opponent can either challenge or go higher, like four answers, or five. And then it goes back and forth until someone says, I challenge you to answer it. If the bidder can successfully complete their contract, they get a point. If they fail, their opponent can win the point if they can give just one correct answer. It's the best two out of three. Whoever's the first to win two of the challenges wins the game and goes on to the bonus round. <sighs> okay. In the final round, uh, there's 12 monitors, and they have to give six correct answers while avoiding the six wrong answers. 
They have to tap on the correct answer like it's a touch screen, then run over and t- and push a button to determine how many correct answers they had. If they got all six right within the time limit, they win a brand new car. Otherwise, they would have to run back to the board and make some corrections before returning to the button. The show was so popular, it warranted its own DOS game and was actually more popular in other countries, such as in Australia on the 7 Network, hosted by Tony Johnson, or most likely in the United Kingdom when it was hosted by Paul Daniels and later Bob Monkhouse. Peter Tamarkin's version only lasted maybe a few seasons. Let me quickly search 195 episodes. Well, good for them. Syndicate game shows. What are you going to do about it? Anyway, the wipeout we're talking about today is actually a different kind of wipeout. It's Obstacle Course Wipeout, and it's the pioneer of the genres of television that have plagued television for the last few decades. Yes, we had Big Money Quiz Show as one of those options. But then you got to think about a romantic chateau adventure as as one of those genres of TV. Uh, then don't forget when they did uh, the stunt shows with such classic things like, oh no, snakes and spiders, where people go into tanks of snakes and spiders. Or, ew, I just ate something gross, where contestants would, you guess it, eat something gross. No, 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 this, was the only, this is the new genre of TV. Before we get to chipper people I- excited about their hobbies, we now have shoving people into water this is the genre known simply as shoving people into water now the genre tv is nothing new uh slapstick bicycle challenges are really nothing new to the exciting world of game shows back in the 80s there was takeshi's castle which would be repurposed in uh, American television as MXC, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. But even before that, there were shows like It's a Knockout in the UK. Uh, uh, Also, Almost Anything Goes aired on ABC in the 70s. So it was all kind of like silly, messy, wacky stunts for people fall on their face. I mean, you could even say Double Dare in some regards was like a slapstick game show. So... For me, Wipeout was just taking what was a common slapstick thing and just adding to it. Now, before we continue going into the full-on dissection of the show, a common misconception of Wipeout, which I hear consistently, even today, is that Wipeout is a quote-unquote MXC ripoff. Now, there's a few comparisons you can give. Uh, for, For instance... Uh, contestants uh, fall into water, just like they do on M- on Takeshi's Castle. Contestants uh, s- scorpion and then go into the water. Differences on MXC in post-production, you hear a back! Well, on ABC, you don't hear like an aww from an audience and a oh, geez. The commentary team on MXC, even though this was, I will remind you, MXC was scripted. It's a scripted show using the footage of a game show uh was of kenny blankenship and vic romano so they would make vic romano a sportscaster kind of voice like hey well we're gonna see here and then he had kenny blankenship be the idiot guy going oh i just am here for the wipeouts 
so you would have your right you are ken and your baba ganoushes on that show so when it got to the show one guy would try and, and make it feel like it's a sports cast. They're on their way doing this thing. Oh, no. And they fell under the mystery muck. Yeah, that's right. That's blah, 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 blah. That's, that was MXC. They had a sideline reporter in Gila Douche on MXC, whereas here you had Jill Wagner. Uh, unlike Gila Douche, Jill Wagner wasn't trying to creep on people. At no point did you hear Jill Wagner look at the camera and go, Jill-like. So it also doesn't work in that regard. However, you couldn't make the case of, like, maybe they were attempting to do a modernized Takeshi's Castle, and they said no. But I'm almost confident if someone asked, hey, can we get the rights to Takeshi's Castle for America? They would have easily acquired it, especially with the success of MXC. So I I don't think that was the case. They already attempted to do their weird Japanese game show later earlier in the year on ABC with I Survived the Japanese Game Show. So if anything, this was going into the success of a lot of viral video shows of slapsticks. Everything from your silent library show, which become adapted to MTV, to your hole in the wall, which would become adapted to Fox and later Cartoon Network. So because haha people fall down go boom uh wipeout was pretty much that show. We now have to get to Matt Kunitz. Matt Kunitz is one of the innovators of reality television. He got his pretty much his start on the real world. So he he has always been a a guy who grew up in reality television. So he had a vision for like well, people are characters. We're telling a story. What's the main objective here? How do people get this and that? And he'd turn that success into multiple different game shows, some successful, like the iconic Fear Factor, and others flopped, like Celebrity Circus. Fear Factor would be on the air for years. I mean, years. This was one of those iconic game shows before it eventually uh, got canceled, mostly due to tons of gimmicks, overexposure, and NBC just feeling like it's ruined its course. So Matt Kunitz was no longer with NBC. He was with Endemol. And he was pitching this game show called Wipeout. The inspiration of Wipeout is actually a multiple different things. You could say that of the Japanese game show. And I'm pretty sure Matt would say somewhat. But he will not say Takeshi's Castle by name. He will say all sorts of Japanese variety shows. Because a lot of different things come from that but i would say he was more influenced by america's funniest home videos more so than japanese game shows like takeshi's castle if i had to also ask what matt kunis will probably say wipeout was inspired by he would probably say video games i am not kidding i'm pretty sure if i had to guess i have to think the head of matt kunitz here his inspiration behind wipeout would be video games like, he watched a lot of Super Mario Brothers, he played a lot of, of Donkey Kong, and he thought, what if this was in real life and was a silly show because people can't do physically those activities in real life? He, he's already done physical challenge game shows, so he was kind of the physical challenge game show guy because of Fear Factor. So, for him, he wanted the same appeal, that same cult-like appeal as Fear Factor, however, get rid of 
anything that would assemble fear factors. So nothing with like jumping from a car to another car, eating eating uh, snakes and spiders, eating snakes and spiders. I'm, unless that's happened, I don't. Maybe. Uh, so so no. So none of the the scary. It was mostly if anything. Don't have a fear of falling three stories into water, like an Olympic-sized dive, because that's about the scariest you can get on Wipeout. They don't want to do any sort of harnesses. I think that was kind of what they were aiming for on Wipeout originally, was we want it to be without harnesses, without cranes. We just want physical people trying to jump from platform to platform and fall into water in creative ways. Season 1 courses differ a lot from later seasons, but we'll get to that in just a bit. So he's coming up with this Wipeout show, he's trying to come up with a vision in mind, and he's thinking of different obstacles, and he's thinking of location. So the place in mind is Sable Ranch in Santa Clarita, California. Uh, this is going to be the home base of Wipeout and will later become multiple Wipeout-style shows, including but not limited to Ultimate Beastmaster and Holy Moly. Yes, those two shows. More on that later, too. So he's been using Sable Ranch on and off for things like Fear Factor, and that is a lot that used to be used in film and television for Westerns. So what Matt Kunitz came up with was, what if we just took this big lot of dirt and we start digging into it and making giant pools of water and make that our little lake? Because we don't want to book out a whole lake. We want to have like our own insular stage so that way we can build the, the set and have different obstacles and different courses. Because the idea is supposed to be the first course is simple. The second and third courses are medium, but there's like now a catch. With the final course, the final round being this extremely difficult, uh, exhausting course known as the Wipeout Zone. He was uh, looking at a park one day, I think with his daughter, because I was in the interview, and he noticed one of those giant soccer balls. Now, if you ever see one of those like field day games every once in a while, you know there's always like a weird oversized uh, soccer ball that people can push around and play like a giant game of, of soccer. Uh, you might also see those oversized soccer balls used in things like Top Gear whenever they want to do like soccer, you know, look at the big soccer ball and it bonks people in. So Matt Kunitz saw one of those. And thought, is it possible we can make like a little bridge and have people jump from one of those to the other? Uh, because they're not like a normal flat platform. It's a, just a sphere. So that could be very complicated. And so one of the first challenges ever devised was the big balls, which would become the staple of Wipeout. Another would be the iconic Sucker Punch Wall. Uh, he was inspired by a lot of boxing training exercises and ducking and weaving. So we thought, what if you had like these weird low-hanging like uh, handles, similar to what you would use for, for uh, rock climbing, and it, everywhere around them is little holes that randomly would open and shut to make a bit of an obstacle, but it's all across the board. So in addition from moving from side to side and and you know, having that strength, 
you also have to watch where your legs and arms and head is. Otherwise, bop, you're punched in the head and you're knocked into the water. Of course, this is a time when he said randomizing would be uh, the way to go. Uh, and later, it would just become uh, instant pushing of the buttons, uh, intentionally whacking people in the face. Of course, they also uh, made, because it was a little pool, it wasn't the big pool of water. They decided uh, we have to make it, can we make it slime? No. How about mud? Now, the mud that they use in Wipeout is not normal mud. It is actually uh, the kind of clay that's used in baseball parks when they need to make a dugout. So anyone who has ever been in Little League and has ever slid to get to a certain base will know the exact kind of likeness of Wipeout, especially if for some bizarre reason, I'm not saying I'm guilty of this, uh, the, you ac accidentally uh, did that, and then sprinklers went on and you got covered in mud. Once again, not saying that's happened to me, but my mom was pissed. So as challenge creators would eventually try and develop what the obstacle course on Wipeout would look like, they realize this is a early show and we don't really have, it's not they don't have confidence, they didn't really have a bigger budget than they were expecting. So a lot of it really was just like, um, let's put oversized playground balls into the mud and have it be like walking across them like little stooling steps. Or let's take gymnastic mats, like literal gymnastic mats. They didn't even like fix anything or build it and just make like a little step ladder and like make it so it's so easy that it topples that you fall over. The art department really was just, can we just uh, create different mechanisms that would spin things around? And can we make sure that different poles have different safety mats as attached to it just in case of a mistake? The art department in early shows really was just like maybe a coat of paint and that's it. So they started construction on the wipeout course. They created all the pools and they had a pilot. I believe the pilot was 30. I think maybe the original pitch was 32. Because the idea was supposed to be every round eliminates half. So 32 became 16. 16 became 8. 8 became 4. With, mo with modern format being 24. With the 12 fastest moving on. And then of the 12, 6 go to round 3. And then of the 6... A uh, three would go to the wipeout zone, but I think in some cases they made it four. Anyway, so the pilot was really low budget. They spent most of the money on construction of the pool. The very first obstacle on wipeout was basically human plinko, where the contestant would have to slide down the little hill, you know, when they start the, the obstacle and they go, hey, what's it going? And it would slide, and they would be bumping into things and hope they hit the platform. Of course, this would later be removed in favor of just go down the hill and jump on the platform, unless the first obstacle was already on a height of some kind. The pilot episode is actually also more interesting. John Anderson was there from the very beginning, as well as Jill Wagner as the correspondent. But instead of John Henson, it was originally Elon Gold. But they still tried to go with the dynamic that would be on the normal show Wipeout. 
John Anderson being a news broadcaster for ESPN and Sports Center for multiple years at this time would treat Wipeout like it's a sports competition series. These are 24 athletes going through the obstacle courses in the hopes to win $50,000. While Elon Gold would play the I just want to see the people get hurt. It's funny because they fall in the water. After the pilot, uh, Matt Kunitz called one of his old friends from Fear Factor, Michael Glazer, to help him out to figure out, uh, we need to figure out a good comic host replacement for Elon Gold. And they would get John Henson, formerly of Talk Soup. Henson left Talk Soup in 1999 and was trying to do different shows and comedy. Uh, it didn't really uh, work out, to say the least. For Henson, most of his career was the talk soup guy. So when he did other shows, it was basically clip show hosts. So he was doing best commercials you've never seen, wildest game show moments, uh, the John Henson Project, which aired on Spike TV, which was kind of like a precursor to The Soup, which was look at really shitty reality television and then John Henson makes fun of it. So since season one, you finally got your dynamic. The Anderson as the as the sportsman, Anderson as the silly guy, and Jill Wagner playing the third wheel player. The obstacles in the first qualifier were very cheap. I've already brought this up. Uh, the topple towers, sucker punch wall, big balls, and the fourth, because there was usually only four obstacles in this round, the first one was always something small, kind of like uh, something involving tubes or balls or safety mats into a pit of mud or the, a small pool of water, a sucker punch wall, the big balls, and then the fourth one was a swing. It was always a swing or a pole vault in the first season, which would start the rule of wipeout of if they complete it they go to the easy platform, which is right here. If they fail, they have to swim over to the longer platform right over there. Whoever are the 12 fastest will move on to the next round. In round two, this was actually one of the first of the wipeout challenges. And remember, this is one that would become an iconic challenge on wipeout. Uh, and then... I, I, it still was trying to figure out its voice. So in season one and season two, the sweeper was the second round. The 12 contestants would situate on top of a little pole with a very tiny platform. And a giant rotating arm would spin around the circle. And basically, kind of like hurdles, they would have to jump over the hurdle and stay on the platform. If they fall off the platform, they're out. Whoever are the six people left standing wins. And they try to do an incentive. If you but stay put because whoever's the last one standing gets a bonus thousand dollars no matter what. So th there was like an incentive to do a bonus prize, which I felt if, if I had to take a stab in the dark, this was like a Matt Kunich push, kind of like what they did in the second round of Fear Factor for the gross outs. None of you are getting eliminated today, but if you do the best in this challenge, you're walking away with the sailboat. You're walking away with the new car. So I, I think that's what they were going at with this. But they never really quite got the sponsor endorsement because this was a relatively new show.
and the sweeper round should be the indication of where they went with wipeout because the standard sweeper is the little hurdle gets higher and higher as each rotation evolves with it getting faster and the hurdle getting higher and higher for a bigger leap and much likely you won't make it because you, your foot will hit the hurdle your your chest will probably hit the pole and then you slip and fall into the water ha 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 so what they did early on even as early as the very first season was they tried to fix the sweeper arm every episode to be some sort of theme for instance, I uh, give everyone a dodgeball, and then you can target somebody by throwing a ball at somebody. Uh, they tried to make it look like a toothbrush. They made it. They they attached a little fake crow on it, so it's a crowbar. You, you get it? Or a piece of cheese? Or they would have the 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 hurdle spin around in a circle fashion, so you don't know if you want to duck or jump at the same time. This would later be used in much later seasons when they would have the big mechanism and then they would realize, oh, we can just kind of paint this to look like anything. So now it's a laundromat. Now it's a haunted house. Now it's a supermarket. Now it's a dog park, which gets to round three. Round three uh, was the dizzy dummy round. Uh, they would be all the contestants will be sitting in these little chambers and they would be spun around very, very fast. So they get dizzy. Uh, then an alarm goes off, and they have to get through uh, two obstacles. Um, so there is two in each of the obstacles. And whoever were the four fastest, because they would repeat the process four times, uh, moves on. So four challenges, and that's what happens. Alternatively, this also was the alternative to Dizzy Dummy, was the Dreadmill. The treadmill was an endurance challenge where they would have to keep running on a treadmill as it gets faster and faster and obstacles were thrown at them with the purpose of making them trip, fall on their face, and then get eliminated from the show. In the pilot episode, they decided against the Dizzy Dummy and the treadmill, and it was, a, I think, a one-and-done challenge called the Daunting Cookie Cutter. If you were to ever make the case that this was a rip-off, this would have been your obstacle to use because it was essentially rotating surfboard of death mixed with hole in the wall. The contestant will be standing on a giant platform that's rotating around the circle. The same sweeper arm, but don't tell anybody. Shh. And along the way on the rotating uh, panel thing, there's different walls where there are very, very weak gym mats they have been cut out to form different shapes. So the contestant can, has to stand on the platform, bend their shape, in, bend their body to fit the shape as they're standing on the rotating platform and move on. And two of them have no, uh, ha, are cut out through it. So you had to jump through the hole before making it. Uh, making, and then as you rotate around, you have to make it to the final platform at the end. If you fail, however, you have to start from you have to go from start all over again and start from scratch. Whoever is the uh, fastest four move on to the final round. Of course, I will go back to later seasons. I know we're midway through. I just want to finish the format point. Can you can I please do the format? So the final round, we were in the daytime, we were in the afternoon with the last two events. Now we're at night. It's a nightscape. And this is the coolest fucking, to me, this is the coolest 
part of the show, the wipeout zone. There are spotlights swirling all over the set. It's outside. So it feels like you're watching a primetime network game show. It is a primetime network game show. But you're also seeing flame effects in the background, fire just blurring out out of nowhere. You're seeing light patterns and little light displays and fluorescent light tubes all over the place showing different colors and different patterns. You're seeing the, the dark sky at night, maybe even a moon. And the only thing you know is there is water on the floor, but it, all you can see because it's night is the reflection because of the lights from the course to the pool. We are in the big leagues. The wipeout zone is the most, quote-unquote, extreme obstacle course ever devised. I mean, we're not talking American Ninja Warrior here where you have to go through monkey bars and have to have upper body core and, and, and try and jump from one place to another on a swinging rope. No, we've already kind of done that, and we kind of know you're not that athletic. But this is more about timing and accuracy and just coordination. It's it's all basic coordination games. The show was jokey, ha-ha, funny, funny, but now the game just took a t- sudden 180 and has become serious. Because at the end of this game, whoever makes it through the wipeout zone with the fastest time walks away with $50,000. John no longer does jokes. It's now all on John Anderson to talk about every last detail and how important it is to not fail. Because one wipeout is a difference maker between making 50000 and losing it. While in every other round, they were wearing silly costumes or have just like a little flotation suit. This time, they're all wearing a wetsuit. This is everyone is equal and they are now in a serious costume. The first thing you do is you see the contestants and they're going up the course. We're doing the little funny flashback. Let's get to know our contestants a little quick. Remember in the qualifier, they got the third fastest time. They were the fastest in the in the sweeper course. And then when they went to the Dizzy Dummies, they were the last one in. And so there goes the contestant. They're about four stories high. And it's just a giant water slide with a, bit, with a 45 degree ramp at the end. Now, in the pilot, they were just going to slide on their backs, but in the later run, they would be getting different uh, mechanisms, such as an inner tube, a sled, an air mattress, and they had to slide down and launch themselves off the wi- into the wipeout zone, and this would become the start of what would become common with the wipeout zone. The, in- the entry into the wipeout zone is a grandiose splash. So this is the giant water slide that knocks you into the water. And later ones, which I guess we can get into soon, uh, are even more extravagant. In the pilot, they just had to climb different triangles without sliding in. They would do a little uh, spinny thing. And then uh, there was different, there was a small plank while water was blasting them. And that was just, that was the pilot. They were basically rehashing some of the challenges from Fear Factor because that was the pilot. But season one uh, was all the same obstacles. They would have Killer Surf, the giant water ramp, which would lead to route, which would lead to the second obstacle because they're in the water as they have to go up a ramp. Originally called Donkey Kong, it was Barrel Run. They have to go up a small ramp as barrels would be dropping down below them and they have to leap over the barrels much like like in Donkey Kong 
over the barrels to get to the next platform. If but the barrels are going are very are like about three feet tall, so you have to really leap over them. And uh, you, if they knock you down, you could fall into the water because they're that heavy. Once you touch the top of the platform, uh, hey, we're good. If they hit the platform, then they gotta go through the wall. Now the wall had different variations, but uh, the one that's most common is the water wall, where it was basically like a little uh, waterfall, like spraying water on the contestants as they try to maneuver and shimmy across a very narrow platform to get to the next big platform. If they fall in the water, they have to climb up and go through halfway point because it's you know that's how it goes. As we get to the next obstacle, the one that I would actually say is one of my favorite obstacles in all of Wipeout. Uh, it is <laughs> the spinner. It's this oversized platform that always is rotating, but there is these oversized uh, soft pillow pads around the edge of it in on the inside of the platform where you have to time your jump correctly to land in the platform because if not, the you get real like face first into one of these padded uh, mats that look like a. I would say, if I had to compare it, I would say it's more like um, a punching bag kind of mat, and you would just start flying into the water. So those to me made like the funniest wipeouts in all of the game show, like the entire game show. Something about like just Johnny Anderson going like, "There's only three minutes left on the clock. He needs. He can only do maybe one or two attempts before this is it." And then the first jump, wow, oh no! <laughs> to me, that's what makes it funny. Uh, and if they land on the platform, well, it's still spinning. So now they have to try and be A, stable on the spinner and like hang onto one of the platforms as they try to time their launch onto one big platform. As they get to the big platform, they get to go to one of the other coolest obstacles, the launch pads, which are four trampolines in different platforms. So now the platforms are little trampolines, and you got to get from one to the other to get to the final platform. And when you stand up, uh, that signifies that you're done. Now, in Total Wipeout in the UK, they decided that we need to have a final buzzer to signify that you're out so it can actually be locked in. Because it's the final round, it is now an all-or-nothing event. So now it's the time to beat is 5 minutes, 60 seconds. Unlike the other events, like the qualifier and, and, the qualifier and sometimes in round 3, where if you fail, you have to go, you, you can continue playing. Uh, in round 3, if you fall, you have to return to start. In this game, if you fail, you have to start at the obstacle and redo it over and over and over again until you can complete it or you decide to quit the show. You can quit at any time because they realize this is very tough. Of course, there's also a time constraint. An unwritten rule in the show is if you go over, I think, 60 minutes, a full hour, the game ends as well and you're considered did not complete. In later seasons, I think that that unwritten rule became half an hour, 30 minutes, and they followed the rule of the qualifier where you just can continue playing and go to the next obstacle until you can complete the course, to which I say that makes this Wipeout Zone not as exciting. 
To me, Wipeout Zone should be the you have to continue doing the obstacle until you can complete it. Because each one of these, the Wipeout Zone obstacles, differs from that of the Sweeper in Round 3's Dizzy Dummies and the Qualifier. Because Qualifier is really just platforming, but you're going to fall on your face or get hit. The second round is just be the last one standing, Battle Royale style. And Round 3 is be the last one standing. Uh, or get the fastest or the slowest uh, time. Round four is a puzzle. It's a it's a human body puzzle. It's how can I go across this little thing without falling? So you get two final acts on the wipeout zone when it's in the nighttime. And you're told like, hey, this is it. This is the last act of the night. They have to complete the course in eight minutes and 31 seconds if they want $50,000. And they go straight to the game. They they keep playing the game. The last one's the 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 current leader is standing with Jill Wagner on the side. The other one's doing the course. And of and if the time runs out on them, you'll hear the air horn. Oh, time is up. That means that you have just won fifty thousand dollars and are the wipeout champion. Yay! Or if they stay on the platform. Hey, bud, I just want to let you know, your time was 5 minutes and 19 seconds. You are $50,000 richer. You're the Fear Factor champion. Woohoo! And then we go back to the studio, the green screen studio, and John Anderson and John Henson are there. And it's like, and another great winner here on Wipeout today. And then John Henson will go, on behalf of Jill Wagner, that was John Anderson, and I'm John Henson saying good night and big balls. And then we cut to the end credits where it's a montage of all the funny wipeouts from the show. As you hear the theme song, you know that. Season one, because it was also cheap, uh, had to do a wipey award for like to show like a funny wipeouts that we had this season and in the episode 11 they took a cue from fear factor and went to city walk and did a countdown list of their best moments on wipeout and they never did this again ever no more bonus episodes i think abc went yeah we don't those didn't really get the ratings as you wanted so no more of those so now let's go back to the new wipeout before we get to the final season of Wipeout, they decided to modify the show now. So in the newer versions of Wipeout, they would do a winter season and a summer season. And they decided, actually, if we're going to do the challenges, there's going to be one new obstacle at the beginning of the challenge. Then the second challenge will be something a little bit different, or it's a sucker punch wall, but we're going to have surprises, like a little spray bottle. Of, of of paint uh and then we get to the big balls now later big balls they decided actually we know when we watched the first season contestants would stand up to that platform get scared shitless and they would waste time so now we're going to force them to go on there with a motivator a big contraption that would knock them into the water ha 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 this would later become many many obstacles or a mechanism flings out of nowhere and knocks the contestant into water it's funny we go from physical uh stunt work where it's get from one place to another to get from one place to another oh too late fall in the water 
The sucker punch wall would sometimes retire, but the big balls would remain. Later runs of the show, you would get to see Smallsy, the the little son of the the wipeout mascot Ballsy, which was just the big ball. The Smallsy was just a literal, just like dodgeball sized ball decorated to look like the big ball, but with a little costume. And if at any time uh, someone on the qualifier can grab Smallsy and go to the other side of the platform of the big balls, they get a thousand dollars. Then the last obstacle would be some sort of bigger mechanism similar to what you would see in the wipeout zone but there would be multiple mechanics such as a swinging uh hurdle that would hit you uh platforms that would fling you upwards and downwards trampolines that you would trip on and more so just to add more to the answer but it would be the same obstacle at the end now they would do two different one of these big ass mechanisms uh, per season, so there was a one A court. There was a one A and a one B for for round one, course A, round one, course B. Just follow me that. Um, and for every new episode, they would change the coat of paint. So you're now entering the gingerbread house. Now you're entering the uh, the the petting store, the pet store. Now you're entering the bakery. With different stuff getting thrown, like bad pizza or dog food or tennis balls, I don't. It, it, it was all just to add more atmosphere to the show. In round two, uh, they decided we're going to get rid of the sweeper in favor of different challenges, such as the double cross, where they have to get from one platform to another while avoiding a sweeper arm. Uh, then you had overdrive, which was similar to that. Then you had people hanging on different uh, swinging wrecking balls as they rotate in their sweeper arms made to knock them out. And y- you had obstacles where they had to start on the green, exit on the red, don't let the sweeper bar hit you on the head. And it was basically like a very quick foot race kind of thing where the object was to get from one point to another while sweeper were all over the place or hang on to a sweeper and get to one part of the set uh, which would later become a thing that was legally allowed to do on wipeout because a couple of contestants realized you can if you what if you cradle the sweeper arm it's not that heavy can you just use that as kind of like a transportation system to get to the next platform okay i guess that works and of course of course they would do a lot more jump to the platform, but uh, oop fooled you. The platform now drops down, so you fall, or the platform goes up, so it smacks you in the face and you go in the water, uh, forcing contestants to make a mistake and fall in the water, and ha-ha, you fell in the water, you idiot. And I hate those so fucking much because to me, I feel like that is, I hate to say standards and practices violations, because it seems like that's going to be common for anybody. But it feels like whoever is like the, the person who pushes the button to rig the device to push up always always does it so that way they fall in the water. And then sometimes they will forget and, oh, that person went in. And there's no repercussions whatsoever. It really is just uh, make sure it's impossible for the first couple and then make it easy for the rest. The catch is uh, you see your fingers. So if you leap far enough that your hand hits the groove 
of where the mat is, by safety standpoints, the con- they can't push the button to knock you into the water. Because if they did, it would squeeze and you would lose the gap, which means your fingers would be smushed by the little mats. So <laughs> they're not going to risk breaking your fingers, so they're not going to push it. Uh, and if they did, wow, we had no idea. Oopsie doopsie. Then we get to the round three. And in round three, they decided, let's just do more obstacle course. So let's make it look like uh, an outfield. Call it the dugout or the wipeout blocks or uh, what was the other one? They had one where you had to sit on a uh, rocket ship and it was basically just ride it as long as possible. There was, in the last season, the Fun Slides platform spinning purple people beater. You know, like one-eyed, one-horned, flying purple people eater. Hey, Weird Al, I got a song for you. So things like Wipeout's Greatest Hits, themed around uh, musical instruments. And of course, you would have uh, people who are on the crew throwing shit at the contestants to knock them into the water. A lot of these people are the black and blue crew members of Wipeout, who are the challenge uh assistance on the show where for for a a wonderful hundred dollars a day and meal they get to test the obstacles on wipeout by falling into the water in multiple painful ways over and over and over again thanks for getting hit in the face with a sweeper arm now we want you to dress up like a gorilla and throw bananas at people that's funny as we move on to the wipeout zone, which, by the way, is still the greatest thing. So then, after season one, season two, when they did the slide, they decided, no, we can do catapults. We can launch people out of a catapult. We can launch them out of a cannon, a giant slingshot. They have to run up a treadmill, and it's going very fast that they fly out and start running into water like a cartoony effect. They bring back the blob from one of the obstacles in Winter Wipeout Season 2, I believe, where they knock them into the water and they go flying into the air. And in later seasons, when they got to the last season, they had this really cool blaster cannon where it was like slingshooting them into the uh, zone. And then they would have the same ops, like the same really cool obstacles, like the scarousel and the gears. But And the gears were like, Look at mechanical gears, and you have to stand on it, and as it's rotating, jump to the next, like you're in a, like an oversized clock, and I'm like, whoa, that's a really cool mechanic. Or one that was like the grinder, which looked like a rotating uh, like barrel, but the holes were so full, like cut out that it was really hard, a very narrow platform that you basically had to shimmy around and then jump to the next one and shimmy again. And these were really clever, really crafty challenges. And instead, instead, they fixed, they changed the rules up one last time. Where if you fail on the wipeout zone, you can just move on to the next course, which is the rules in the UK uh, wipeout, admittedly, because they wanted to save time. But I thought that ruined a great aspect of the wipeout zone so now instead of times being like 13 minutes 16 minutes 19 minutes because wipe out go back try and figure out the puzzle wipe out again uh go back 
and then go through, it basically become like a human pinball machine and bounce back and forth in this giant like maze before falling into the water the there the puzzles no longer feel validated and what you saw time and time again because i noticed this contestants would deliberately just fall in the water at the quickest time so they could just swim across to the next course because it's faster to just climb up and fall in the water than to actually attempt to do the obstacle and go across it which was the downfall of wipeout show in its seventh season did the unthinkable and decided Actually, we're going to change the rules up and make it so you just carry on. Just move on. Just carry on. And in doing so, it was, okay, well, you win the $50,000, and you have a chance to win even more in the Tournament of Champions at the end of the show. Like, the end of the season was another Tournament of Champions. I can understand that with something like a Holy Moly, where their whole show is a tournament. But this is not necessarily a tournament. This is essentially, uh, I had to compare it to a sport, maybe like a, like a lawnmower race, like where you have like the qualifying round, like the qualifier, and that would show off who are your 12 people who are in the lineup. And then we have a battle royale system where 12 becomes 6. We have that round 3 where the 6 becomes 3. And then you have the challenge. And yes, they did a lot of gimmicks, like uh, first dates episode, couples wipeout, family wipeout, just like they did with Fear Factor. And those gimmicks, I mean, fine, they make it the the same course over and over again, stand out separately, which works. So when I first enjoyed Wipeout, oh, look at all these different obstacles, that's interesting. And then it just became the same course over and over again and people just wipe out on the same course hey you see the obstacle where the person has to jump over the hurdle and as they jump over the hurdle uh, the the wall smacks them in the face and they fall in the water that's fun the first time try the full season where they have to show that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again so for me, Wipeout's really fun when there is, like, if there's two different courses, to just run both courses. So maybe watch two episodes of Wipeout a season, because every other episode will just be more of the same that you already saw. Oh, the person fell in the water uh, getting hit in the nuts by a sucker punch wall that was designed because this is the men's episodes. I don't know. So, uh, Jill Wagner had a child one season, and uh, she had to go on a leap of absence, and in her place, Vanessa Lachey, a really great actress and a very beautiful model, was doing the Jill Wagner role of interviewing the contestants and if their characters over the top, uh, making them out to be, uh, and trying to be the face of normal while also being like, look, this is, this is my gig. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think she's currently hosting Top Chef Junior on Universal Kids. And she did a great job uh, being the co-host on the show. Uh, because she was, if John is supposed to be the sportscaster, the other John's supposed to be the silly guy, the co-hosts, Jill and, and Vanessa, they are supposed to be the 
uh, yes, they're the beautiful people, like, hey, the beautiful girl inside, but in addition to being the beautiful girl, they're also trying to be the voice of normalcy on the show because none of the contestants being casted are appearing normal. The hosts, while they are trying to present themselves as normal, are clearly a little bit one way or the other. So one's intelligent, smart, because you're going with with Anderson, and he's just he's wanting the competition to be go right. You know, this is fun. People are going to fall on their faces, but there's going to be fifty thousand dollars for one of them, and that's worth it. And the other one's like, well, well, John, you know. Uh, this is really silly because I was coming up with an idea because I saw this one contestant and we'll take so that format of shoving people into water became its own thing that people have said things are wipeout clones because of it things like oh sit because because on oh sit they played musical chairs but people fall in the water because they have to do little obstacles or splat a lot Kids have to go across the obstacles, but people are throwing goop at them, and then, uh uh-oh, they fell in the water. Or holy moly, where contestants have to putt on giant obstacles, but uh uh-oh, they go fall in the water. And all of these shows seem to have something in common. You have to have one that takes it quote-unquote seriously, one that takes it comedically, and then you have the sideline reporter, which I said from Splatlock, because I don't think they had a sideline reporter that's the the thing. So you had to have the two people doing the commentary and then the sideline analyst there. Because Jenny May is the Jill Wagner on Holy Moly, for instance. So the show was very innovative. And Matt Kunitz created a very innovative show. So much so that a lot of people tried to do a copycat version of it. Complete with like fake commercials similar to Wipeout to sell like car insurance, for instance. So if you ask me what did the show in, it wasn't innovation. They were still coming up with really great courses. The idea, the problem with me watching the show was it was just a new coat of paint on the same obstacles every season. It, instead of maybe doing like a 1A and 1B, they maybe should have done like 1A, 1B, 1C and repeat it four times. So that way the rotation is more variety based. So you only see the same course four times a season. In addition to the first obstacle always being something different, which I thought was always a cool idea. The first thing you see is always something new. And that same process should be done with rounds two and three and round four. They need one extra rotation course to make it a little better. But the show was innovation. And it is the show that pioneered all of these attempts at other things. I don't think Holy Moly was in someone's mind until Wipeout got started. And now uh, in the news, uh, as of this recording, I'm recording this right at the end of July, TBS has announced a brand new Wipeout. And in their version, it's going to be $25,000 and less contestants. At least that's what I heard because it's going to be three rounds of play. So for me, I, I'm not going to completely like say who's going to do it because maybe by the time I, I like hear this rich eisen gets the job or charles barkley gets the job so i don't i don't know who to say what i would do all i would say is it should be 12 to 6 6 to 3 and the final three go to the wipeout zone making the grand prize twenty five thousand dollars doesn't really bother me so much as other shows because if i'm looking at things like like cannonball right now with the miz 
that's a $10,000 prize with the grand prize being a final splash, like based on length and in height. This feels like if they're going to do it, they're going to do it right. And you're going to see a lot more people falling into water in hilarious ways. The warning I have to give to the production of Wipeout, I don't think they're going to be listening to this at all, you guys. Just a hunch, because we're ending this, this game show podcast, just a hunch no one's listening to this. My advice for them would be to lay back on the mechanical stuff. No more pushing a button and watching a guy get whacked in the face by a, a wall. I think it needs to be a little toned back from the last couple of seasons. And you have to make it so if they're going to fall, they slip on their own mistake instead of one that was created on behalf of the team because the stunt person, the stunt person pushed the button and the water jet sprayed in their face and then a wall smacked them in the face and then they just did a whole full rotation front flip into the water. It, it needs to feel like because their own unathletic ability, they, fe- they did it to themselves to fall in the water. You make it so they get they get knocked into like a human pinball machine, not like you're you're pushing the flipper on the human pinball machine. That that to me just feels like uh, you can waste a lot of time and pick favorites, in my opinion. And because you will have twelve to six to three, you can actually take the time to make each one of your twelve competitors into their own individual character and oh man this is the texas redneck oh this is the former cop this is the nurse it's a male a male nurse look at how silly that is and you keep the show going from there because the last time i saw a matt kunich show get rebooted and it fell on their face was fear factor twice the one that was on nbc went so over the top they were drinking donkey semen and they had to pull the plug so don't do that tbs and their ludicrous version of mtv was so budget cut that it really felt like the most boring show to watch because half the stunts were either your head is getting buried in stuff or you're getting covered in stuff or uh oh your smartphones are in danger like that's that's not interesting for me to watch if you're gonna do a wipeout reboot make it like you can bring back the big balls, bring back the sucker punch wall, and then do like the ro- like a giant Ferris wheel platform rotation thing and have people try and either sit on the rocking uh, Ferris wheel and kill time or try and make a big leap at a certain time to save time on the course. Whatever is their direction. Something like that is all that's necessary you don't have to go too over the top fuck if you even do 12 to 6 you can bring back the dizzy dummies remember the dizzy dummies we'll we'll bring that back and get a little bit nostalgia with that as well because when wipeout was gone they had the big empty pools and they used it from everything from 101 ways to leave a game show to ultimate beast master to holy moly so If these pools are still around in Santa Clarita, make full use of them today. The show internationally does not use Santa Clarita. They fly their contestants to a secondary course built in Argentina. The Argentina course is actually double that of Santa Clarita's, 
with two pools full of the same course material so they could have had two countries film their wipeouts at the exact same time, which was very clever, and I love that. Uh, right down to a wipeout zone. Rival wipeout zones. Could you think of that? Wow. End them all in the foreign formats because they had a uh, office in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Used the total wipeout so, uh, set somewhat and built a three-story structure that was used for 101 ways to leave a game show. So wipeout was an international success. Uh, lots of countries played into the world of, of Wipeout and its silly nature, human Super Mario World concept. But uh, I have to also point out uh, an unfortunate thing that happened with the show, and this is the darkest thing I can actually bring up in the history of game shows. So when you get cast on Wipeout, uh, they wanted silly, silly, wacky characters when you cast. You know, like, oh, I'm happy to be here. My name's Jordan. I love hamburgers so much. They love me. They call me Hamburger. And so you're Mr. Hamburger Haas. So that way they can come up with like a thousand jokes to run on for your character. And on their casting application, what would you do if you won $50,000? But please don't do anything like serious. Don't say like, uh, my mom has cancer or my house burnt down. I want silly. I want you to say, I want video games. I'll buy a big hamburger and eat it for myself because I'm hamburger hoss. And hey, you're going to be on the show, contestant. Now I need you to get a physical. Do you have any pre-existing conditions, medical stuff? because this is a physical activity game show that could get you probably hurt. We need to know. Uh, and aside from having antiphosphoid antibody syndrome, or APS, uh, he only had some minor back problems, and that was it. So he goes to the wipeout zone. He's in the course day. Hey, how's it going? I'm going to have fun in the qualifier. He hits a hurdle... And he, like, as he, the, the hurdle, because it's a mechanical thing lifting up and down, smacks him in the knee. He goes, ah, uh, and then he gets out of breath. He then continues the course as if nothing bad happened. And then he is a little fainty and he faints. He f is in the water and he's not swimming. He's just there in the pool. And people are confused what's going on on the set. A lifeguard immediately drags him and pulls him up thinking he's not swimming. He's out of breath. We got to grab him. He might be drowning. We don't know. Oh, shit. They get the medical team. They rush the guy to the hospital. And uh, the wipeout medics took him to the hospital at Cedar sinai down the street, and uh, he passed away. The autopsy report said uh, the cause of death was a stroke that was caused during the show. A guy by the name of Tom Sparks passed away at the age of 33 on a game show. We like to talk about all the time, like, has anyone ever really died on a game show? Well, yeah, there's been lots of accidents, you know, broken legs, broken arms, twisted ankles, but full-on death? 
As the family would sue the production company, as would be the case, you just lost a loved one, the Endemol team of lawyers went to the defense, saying that the cause of death was a preventable disease that he did not disclose on his application for the show. He lied because Tom needed money. Tom agreed to be on the show not because it's a silly thing to do. He was in desperate need for money. Tom was married to a wife, Kate, for two months, who also appeared as a contestant on Wipeout. They were recording a couple's episode at the time. So the shortness of breath, the unconsciousness, was right in front of Kate at the time, who was, like anyone else, panic-stricken. Endemol did take this out of court and settled for a non-disclosed amount of money. The production staff and the crew were devastated by this news. They have taken every safety protocol to heart. They wanted this to be the safest game show devised. No one died on Fear Factor. No one died on Survivor. The softest padding ultimately did nothing to save the life of Tom Sparks. The death occurred over a decade ago, but the memory lives on for Kate and her family. I didn't mean for this part of the show to be the sad, somber news section or even feel like a murder investigation podcast, but that is always a question that pops up with all these reality television shows. Has anyone ever died? Has anyone ever got murdered? And aside from simulated death in, in comedy stylings, like things like Killer Camp or Who Done It, never. As we are approaching the end of Wipeout, I have to talk about adaptations of the show. Wipeout, because of its physical activity, would end up being a very successful series of video games, both on Wii and for Xbox Connect. People would run around and jump over hurdles, uh, just like on Wipeout. Duck, the sweeper arm, just like on Wipeout. Use motion controls to go through the big balls on a Wii stick, just like on Wipeout. While the soundtrack was playing, and they're playing for a fake $50,000. But in addition to these video games... They also had one other tie-in, the Wipeout Run. Because of the success of Wipeout, different countries, in, including America, would take the famous obstacles of Wipeout and add them to a marathon. So, as you might see, like a, a classic, I don't know, like a, I was going to say like a 5K, but I'm going to say more like a 2K, 3K. And for every, like, five, like, every about two miles there's a new obstacle so now you got to go down the sweeper arm and it's inflatable or go across the inflatable big balls or uh go across the uh the banana hammock which is just a banana that swings back and forth because it's a hammock this proves that wipeout even long after it's gone has success outside of its game show in addition to the Wipeout Run, which is still going on even to this day in some areas, well, maybe not now because of COVID. As I'm recording this, COVID is still going on. I'm sure by October, the same stuff is still going on. It's just more heightened and disastrous. 
and Wipeout would also have video game tie-ins in another way through the means of the video game Roblox. Roblox is a game mostly made for like fourth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders, in which they can build their own little levels and play different games. And one of the most popular courses, popular levels that they can try on Roblox is a simulation of the game show Wipeout. There's multiple versions of Wipeout on Roblox. In fact, there's versions of Roblox in about like a lot of these level design games, like Little Big Planet and uh, Trials Evolution, where it goes to tell you that Wipeout has had cultural appeal in this country, and not just in this country, around the world. So you can play as a little Lego man walking across a up, down, left, right on a giant cylinder big ball. It may or may not be sphere. We do not know uh, if basic geometry metrics work on Roblox. And once again, the platforming aspects that go along with it. So, Wipeout, this game show that started in the late 2000s, would wind up becoming one of the more iconic game shows of our generation, spewing all sorts of quote-unquote Wipeout clones and influencing, based on its own set and its giant pools, a bunch of other game shows in its process as well. So, in conclusion here, Wipeout was the game show of the 2000s if it wasn't a deal or no deal. You could almost argue that that was the bridge the gap moment between the deal or no deal, big money luck based show, and the 2010s celebrity plugs. This was that branching path that led us into so many alternative game shows. And would go to tell you that ABC would become the network for game shows. As Wipeout's termination would make way for Celebrity Family Feud and 500 Questions and a bunch more game shows to come. As a revival is in the works and you're seeing a production staff taking what makes Wipeout tick, and knowing it, it's that it's that interaction with the characters, going into this almost human video game like element where people are going to go from platform to platform, but always make a mistake and get and fall face first into water or scorpion or lean on their way or flippy flop out into the water. It needs to take its cue from basically any sort of ragdoll video game ever devised if it wants to be that star again because. This is the original. This is the original game show that catapulted all these other shows. It's about time it returns and lets people know this is what we stand for. Because if it doesn't work this time around, I'm not holding my breath if ABC elects to reboot the show a second time around. That's going to do it for us here on Game Shows, I suppose, the Wipeout episode. Richard Hammond was an okay host. 10,000 pounds there is $50,000 here because of the unconditional rule of divide by five to get to Britain's economy. Wipeout Canada was okay. Wipeout Australia was okay as well. Many of these versions are available for free on Pluto Television. That's going to do it for us here on Game Shows, I suppose, solo sessions. Until next time, good night and big balls.